Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. What's up, Browns fans? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. We are at our usual Thursday, well, it's Thursday night, which means we're recording for Fridays with John Colosimo. John, how are you, my friend? Doing pretty good. After a wild Thursday night game, probably the best of the year. It was a really good game. There have been, it seems like every year there's a really important, I hate most of the Thursday games, almost all of them, but it feels like they find one game a year where it's really important at the end of the year, and this was it. And it was fun. Fun game to watch. Um, you know, I, I think I think Justin Herbert's really good and yeah. is going to be good for a long time. Mahomes a little uneven this year, but still obviously can put it together when it matters. And uh, those two teams are AFC contenders for the foreseeable future. That game did help, I think, John, the Browns a little bit. I know that the, the Chargers hold the head-to-head tiebreak over the Browns, but I think it puts the Chargers at – to put them at 8-6? and uh, six? Correct. Okay. So in a weird way, that helped the Browns. Um, If we consider the Browns a team likely to win this weekend, and, you know, if we do, they got to have some guys on the field. I mean, just it's utter madness right now. It's really utter madness. I want your thoughts. I've been talking on this pod about it all week. So give everybody your thoughts and where you're at on Thursday night here heading into Friday, and we'll see if they even keep everybody in Friday because we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's a it, it's a mess. And, you know, it's getting to the point where I mean, once you get kind of beyond what you had on your practice squad, <laughs> then, you know, uh, where are you even pulling guys from? You know, uh, we don't know where this is going to end up. I think it's uh, it's going to be just a, a mess of a game. I, you know, I hope that it, it doesn't look as bad on the field as, say, uh, the Jets game last year did the last time we got – you know, pretty beat up from COVID. I think that was probably the worst because uh, it hit all of one room. Um, yeah. and now it's it's hitting people on in every room. You know, if, if we lose anything more than I don't, I don't know. You know, at this point, like uh, I'm not even sure that Nick Mullins is it's even a downgrade from Case Keenum. I'm not, uh, you know, <laughs> big on Keenum. Uh, Nick Mullins has plenty of experience in the system, played mm-hmm. plenty of games for Kyle Shanahan. So I'm not as I don't even think it was that huge of a deal to go from Keenum to, uh, but I, I didn't think very much of Keenum to begin with. So low bar. So I don't know who, um, yeah, I think Mullins is obviously the best fit as far as practice squad in, a, in an emergency scenario quarterbacks. I think he's, I don't know, among the league's best. He's at least played in games and, and knows the offense he's going into. I definitely, definitely think you could have done worse there. Um, from from a, from a whole group perspective, looking at who would have to replace your backup in a crisis situation like this, I'm trying to find and remember who went on tonight. Uh, the the list it doesn't seem like the Browns put out anything official. Did Jacina Anderson end up putting that out? I cannot remember who. I think Jacob Phillips was on the list. Uh, Ronnie, Har- there it is. Jacob Phillips, Ronnie Harrison, Case Keenum, Grant Delpit, and that's it but that kind of hampers everything so on the offensive side you have you have Nick Mullins starting at quarterback you still have your top two backs and Nick and Dearnest your fullbacks are available to play Donovan Peoples-Jones Jamarcus Bradley and Alexander Hollins are your wide receivers sorry Rashard Higgins is still in the mix there it's the opposite wide receiver then Bradley is your third guy Hollins is your 
your uh, extra body. Demetric Felton's in that group too. Uh, and Joku, it looks like Harrison Bryant was practicing today. He might play. Then on the line, you have Hans at left tackle, backed up by Alex Taylor. And then you have Betonio Treader as your normal starters. Michael, Gunn is your, Michael Dunn is your right guard. And then James Hudson is your right tackle with Elijah Canisaw, uh, who uh, is the, the latest pickup uh, for the practice squad, who will, I'm sure, be elevated at this rate if he stays off the COVID list himself. So, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I guess the offense's outlook is it's not as bad as it could be, but it's still pretty bleak, right? Yeah, it's definitely bleak. Um, I don't think it's – well, you know, it depends on how badly these tackles do. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, uh, with this Raiders team, you know, they got a ton of pressure on the outside. Um, so we'll have to see how that goes. Uh, you know, but at least the interior is somewhat there. I think Don will do better uh, at guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, you got your normal starters on the inside. So there's some potential there for – for Nick to do something there, but uh, if if Nick doesn't prove that he can throw the ball somewhere, then then it can get ugly pretty quick. I mean, I'm I'm almost more concerned about the defense at this point. You know, losing basically the entire safety room. Yeah, that's where it gets tough. So you have Miles, Malik Jackson. I don't know if he's going to play. He's got the knee on. He might already be on. I don't know if he's on the list or not, but it's it's a moving target here. Um, you have Sheldon Day, Jordan Elliott, Tommy Togiai. They just signed. This young man from the Saints, I cannot remember the name of the guy they signed there, um, but he will be, I guess, a part of this thing. Clowney is the opposite edge with Joe Jackson, JOK, Mac Wilson, Tony Fields, and then Anthony Walker. Is Walker on the list? I cannot remember if Walker is on. I didn't think he was. I think he's, was he hurt? I can't remember. So he might be able to play. He He should have come back this week. He was on COVID list last week. So Taki Taki Malcolm Smith will be up. Jacob Phillips is out. Denzel Ward is in. AJ Green is out. Greedy is your other corner with Herb Miller as the backup. I thought you could have MJ Stewart in the slot, but maybe MJ Stewart has to play safety. Strong. He's got to play yeah. safety. Well, the Javante Moffitt, I think, could handle some of the stuff close to the line of scrimmage, but you're looking at Moffitt and Richard LeCount, and I'm sure if somebody's listening to this and has a fantastic list, you might have known you might know something we don't at this point. We might have missed something. The good thing is all the specialists are still able to play, so that's holding in place. It is it is a situation again that could be worse. It really could, but it also is pretty terrible still. So that's kind of where I'm at. Do you agree? Yeah, I I do. Um it, you know, re having you read the list off um like that I I don't think it's quite as bad as like chalk it up. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably somehow, I don't know, you know, maybe it's just a Christmas spirit or something like that, but uh, I probably feel a little better coming to this game against the Raiders than I did going to the playoffs against Pittsburgh. Um, yeah, that's a good point. So I, I don't know, you know, I, I think that uh, the possibilities are there, uh, but you know, who knows? Who knows? That's the theme of this season in general is like, <laughs> who, who knows, man? Who knows who will show up and play? Well, who knows if the Raiders have really quit, you know, hardcore quit and they, they don't want to go across the country and play a team with the COVID outbreak. Who knows? The Raiders could absolutely lay an egg. As far as I know, it looks like the weather is pretty gnarly in this one. So that's not good. Uh, it's going to be a problem uh, as far as this game goes. So I, again, we're all shrugging our shoulders. It feels like everybody wants them to move the game, 
players included. Baker's annoyed and tweeting about it, and Jarvis is too, and I get it. It's just, I at this point, I would be stunned if they moved it. They seem pretty pretty st- stuck to their guns of the NFL about not moving it. The thing that would change that would be a another large group, like eight or more tomorrow, right? Yeah, I agree. And, you know, mentioning the weather, I mean, the gnarlier the better as far as I'm concerned. You know, you talk about a team coming across country from the West Coast. Um, you know, there's no way that they want it more than the Browns. I don't care if it's a, the backups, the practice squad players, or somebody you sign up the street. Uh, the Browns do want it more. So as far as I'm concerned, bring on the nasty weather and uh, and let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, you'd like some of that unpredictability going on there. That would that would certainly help. I, I don't have a, a great feel for who's even out or not for the Raiders. I know Waller is out, which helps. Their wide receiver group is a little, you know, huge. uneven. Yeah, I mean, Waller, Waller's out is, is huge, and especially if the, if the weather is not conducive to long passing. Yeah. you know, given the safety situation. So, um, hey, you know, the, the the Raiders got one on us in some nasty weather last year where they just wanted it more. So there's a little bit of, uh, I'm sure, a, a remembrance of that. Um, so uh, maybe, maybe we take it to them this time and want it more. It's the hope. That's for sure. It's the hope they need it to be a game that they have a desire to win. Because we've talked about these last four games they have to win three of four and with a trip to green Bay next week. And then you're closing with big Ben's last game in Pittsburgh on week 17. Don't love that. And then a pretty good Bengals team coming to Cleveland. You have a very small, um, you know, margin for error here. They can, they have to get to 10 wins to have a realistic chance, in my opinion, to make the playoffs nine wins. I guess you could, but I don't love the odds on that one. So you better get to 10. So the Browns have the Raiders. Let's talk about the rest of, of the AFC North real quick. And then there's a couple tweets I want to get your opinion on. And then we will, uh, we'll dive into how the Browns actually beat these guys. So the, the, the Ravens, it seems like uh, without Lamar is where it's trending. They go to green Bay. I mean, I guess they could come up with a gritty win, but that's a win that they, the, the, the Packers have to have to keep up with the first place in the, in the, in the conference. They just got with the Arizona loss. So I see green Bay all out in this one and it should be a win. Push the Raiders to, or sorry, the Ravens to what? Eight and seven or would, or would they be eight and six? I think they'd be six, eight and I six, mm-hmm. right? You see it. I mean, I, I guess the Ravens with Huntley could win. They were respectable on offense with him, but just seems to me like that should be a Packers win at home. Right. Or did, no, they're going to Baltimore still should, they be are. A, still should be a Packers win. I think so, too. I think that's, uh, you know, I mean, you never know with the NFL, but that seems like a 65, 70%, you know, type of outcome for the for the Packers win. Um, the Steelers have the Titans. Titans are, you know, it's been weird ever since Derrick Henry was hurt. It's been weird. But they have continued to – this has been up and down last four weeks. So they beat the Rams in that huge primetime game out in L.A. They have – a win over the Saints, then they lose that weird game to the Texans, then they lose to the Patriots, get blown out by the Patriots, which seems to be a theme for everybody, and then shut out the the Jags, who are in a real, real, uh, you know, I don't know, tumult is the word there when they entered that game, and it's been the same after. So Titans come to Pittsburgh. I think it's probably a coin flip. I mean, I think Pittsburgh is not very good, but they're not. I mean, this Titans team's not very good either. No, that's the right. That's exactly how I would put it. It's a coin flip. Uh, yeah. It'll probably be a close game, and those can go either way. And 
I wouldn't be surprised at either result, and I won't be really concerned with either result, to be honest. Yeah, I think that one's a coin flip. Pittsburgh is that head-to-head looms large. The tie helps, but the head-to-head looms large. The Bengals go to uh, the Broncos. It'll be. I mean, I I I don't know. Broncos are seven and six, a weird football team. It would be huge for them to beat the Bengals. I don't know what the line is in that game, but it feels like a game where the Bengals should still be the favor. Um, I don't know. How do you feel about that one? Uh, you know, the Denver seems more and more very similar to the Browns, to be honest. Uh, you know, they just uh, understood that they had a, a weird QB situation coming into the year, and we didn't. Yeah. Um, you know, overall, they're a pretty talented team that uh, has the capability of pretty much beating anybody where um, they could just play a stinker. So um, I, you know, I hate to keep saying this, but, you know, that one to me just could go. I wouldn't even say that's 50-50. I just think that, like, the, the range of outcomes is all the way across the board. <laughs> it is. Right? Like, I could, I could see, like, a Denver blot. I could see a Bengals blot. I could see a close game. Won't know until we see it. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know how to feel that one out. I don't know how Cincinnati's reeling coming off of that off of that San Francisco game. I tend to think Cincinnati's pretty good, but trips to Denver and mile high with that air altitude, the cross country stuff, never easy. So it's tough to sort of say one way or the other on that one. Um so either way, I think the good thing is is that we look at those games and we don't feel like there are any lock wins in the division, right? That's a good thing. Because the last thing you want is somebody right now playing the Jags or somebody of that nature, or the Texans, and feeling like it's an auto win for somebody. So it should be competitive games across the division that could go Cleveland's way. We'll have to see. A couple interesting tweets from PFF today that sort of stirred up everybody. I tried to be neutral on them, and it still got me in trouble. So... They tweeted out they are doing off-ball coverage data. So they are doing more of that because uh, they want to get better at grading some of the uh, corners uh, coverage, how coverage guys do when they're not covering the football. Because a lot of times what their grades have been for coverage players is only when the player is in active coverage, covering a ball in their direction. So if they're not, they want to be able to do that too. And a byproduct of that data is that you can tell more about quarterback play, right? So the, they tweeted out that the highest passing grade when only one or zero or one receiver is open the last two years. Uh, Baker Mayfield's in that group. To me, he's fifth behind Brady, Mahomes, Rogers, Murray is not a surprising stat because there are a lot of times where this scheme will only have one player open. It'll be a two man route and there's only one guy open. So I'm not that surprised because also I think Baker's pretty good on those balls up the sideline for the most part, delivering accuracy up up the sidelines, the middle of the field is where he gets in trouble. But I saw this stat and I wasn't surprised by it. I think it's a good group of names for him to be with. I'll say that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now 
and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. No, it was. You know, and I think that's a good point. I think that's a really good kind of analysis of of why that's happening. Um, you know, he didn't always used to be bad at the middle. You know, he used to be excellent up those seams, but uh, not so much anymore. Yeah, it's where his miss is. That's that's the thing that I've noticed. When when he tends to miss high, it's it's tough because it's over the middle. And as we know, that can lead to where downfield interceptions happen. The other one was a scheme-based tweet that I thought felt right to me again based on watching everything that I do, which is the highest percentage of pass plays with three receivers open. Lamar Jackson's number one, not surprised by that because of the offense they play in and how run-heavy it is. And when they do run play action, there are typically open answers for him. Then Baker Mayfield, Zach Wilson, Matt Ryan, Jimmy Garoppolo, all of which are guys in the Shanahan, Kubiak, uh, tree of of schemes, you know, LaFleur based schemes, which is kind of trickle down. Matt Ryan's down there with uh, what's the name of the coach at the Falcons coach? I cannot remember his name for the oh, life Arthur of me. Smith. Arthur Smith, who comes from the same offensive structure that he worked with Tannehill. So I'm not surprised by these group of quarterbacks at all. And it does validate what I've been talking about, which is there are open options here. Now, this is not an outcome based stat. This isn't saying these are the guys who perform best with three receivers open. It's not saying that the quarterback is at fault for any of the offensive woes when these guys are open. It's just saying, hey, these are three options or more that are open based on their coverage data for range of coverage player in the area and in the in the time to throw metric. So I think it's a really good stat for me to validate. I do see people open. Now it's not always the quarterback's fault that the ball doesn't get delivered to somebody. Somebody drops it. A block goes awry. Something happens with the read. I get it. I'm just saying when you start to blame the scheme, we can't get anybody open. Why can't we move the football? No one. I think you got to really take a look snap by snap and you'll see guys are open, John. Am I wrong or right? Or what do you think of that stat? No, I, you know, I, um, first of all, you know, I definitely watched your breakdowns and there's no, there's no question that, uh, this scheme allows for people to get open. Um, as far as the stat in general, I'd be interested in understanding how they are calculating that, right? Because a play is not a, a screenshot, right? Mm-hmm. So how are they, how are they deciding that three people are open? Like, is, is that three different times in a, you know, in a four second play or is it, you know, at what time, you know, so I, I'm interested to know the methodology that uh, they have uh, crafted around that to say three people were open on this play. I because would say they should have all the time when they you put know, like it's, you go ahead. Sorry. Oh no. I was just saying it's probably not like a screenshot in time where three people are open um, and I wonder like how the, you know, the, um, the reads end up, uh, you know, allowing that, you know, for a quarterback and how you're supposed to read that play, what, whether that really makes sense to look at that plainly, just in general, mm-hmm. as far as Baker is concerned, I'm very confident that we can say 
that uh, there's been a lot of missed opportunities that were in fully within his grasp. I, I would say the thing they should have done here is if you're going to put out a stat that has that much gap in interpretation, because open to one person is not open to another, it would have been oh, wise yeah, to true. put out a tutorial video on here's how we deem a player is open. Like putting that stat out there from one of your more important members of your staff, like Steve is, is like wild to me that you would put that out without any context. Hey, here's how we do it. I'm not even asking for a video. A video would be great because then you can eliminate all interpretive issues. But a video or even a tweet follow-up that said, well, this is how we determine it, two yards or more of space between receiver and cover man and 2.5 average NFL throw, time to throw. Like, there there was nothing. They just threw that out there. I I didn't see it. I didn't see it, but uh, any follow-up to it, somebody else might have seen it. Maybe somebody tweeted him and he followed up on it. But that feels like a stat that somebody should have put out some, like, Hey, here's how we come to this conclusion. To me, what I saw is like it validates what I'm talking about all year, which is people are abandoning Stefanski in the scheme. And it's like, I don't really think you should be doing that. It's pretty clear that there are guys open snap to snap, but it's just not coming together. And I'm not saying all 37% of those snaps should be completions, John. I'm just saying if you complete 10% of those, you're probably looking at a lot more production game to game. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I mean, shoot, if we could just get a stat that was just how often is a backside dig open for oh, Baker? Oh, goodness. Yeah, man. <laughs> that that alone would be a valuable uh, uh, stat to, to look at. So, like, I have no questions as far as Baker being a, on that list with um, with a lot of open receivers. I, but I do want to learn more about what they're actually saying. Yeah, that's where there's so much open to interpretation. So I'll I'll tell the story because – if people listen to it and want to go public on, on Twitter, that's fine. I don't care. I mean, it's it's a conversation. It's no big deal. Uh, somebody important at Pro Football Focus, I had a conversation with them about the decision when the game came out uh, about the turnover-worthy throws. Uh, I've talked at, at nauseum about the squirrel route, that, that route that they run. Uh, which was intercepted in the game the other day, uh, you know, the Ravens game, where it's a wheel route to a comeback. And I'm like, okay, that was clearly left inside. There's no reason why that ball should be thrown there. That is a turnover-worthy throw in the quarterback. Well, when the game came out, there was only one turnover-worthy throw, which was deemed to them to be the ball to Jarvis on that leak play, John, where... It was underthrown, and they got a pass interference call on it, which was a little bit of a phony call because Jarvis was actually the one grabbing him. But I was like, I asked the guy, I said, how on earth did you, do we not grade it that way? So he thought there was some miscommunication between Jarvis and Baker about how the route works. So if you know, if you go outside and you turn up, if a guy's got inside leverage on a comeback to the sideline, the ball should be thrown to the sideline. Well, in this particular route, the Ravens coverage had the had the corner sitting outside. So when Jarvis went to do his out and up, he can't keep running to get outside of that guy. He's going to run into the sideline. So he cuts back inside only to work his comeback again outside turn 18 to 15. The ball should still be on the sideline or not thrown at all. If a corner has that leverage, don't throw it. If you go back and watch the play, guys, there's a dig route by Donovan Peoples-Jones. If he comes off the squirrel route to the middle, which he has no pressure, it's wide open. It's a big game. That's one of the things you're talking about there, John, with the dig routes. I'd love to have him find a backside dig. Um, 
But anyway, I just went back and forth, and I'm like, here's my opinion on it. I've never seen a squirrel route or any comeback be a curl or comeback option. It's very rare. I've seen where there's a vertical or stop option. If a corner has leverage on you upfield, you're stopping. If he's in trail position, he's going, right? I've seen that, but I've never seen like a corner... The, the where the corner is is having a read happen between the the, the wide receiver and the quarterback on in breaking whether it's a comeback or a curl I've just never seen it it could happen but I've never seen it then I got a text from him that said an even higher up former quarterback in the NFL reached out to the Browns coaching staff one of the main offensive coaching staff personnel people you can deduce who that would be and he confirmed that it was on Baker that ball was left inside so they then went back and changed it his grade goes from an 80 back to a 72 but nobody knows that because it's later in the week it's after reviews and people just go with what they see the first time so that's where this stat in my opinion what i'm talking about is like can we get some context to it because it's dangerous and that's the the thing with all of this stuff and i do like that they go to the coaches for these it was encouraging to me because i i even said it to him i'm like hey man I would imagine agents take pro football focus data to arguments about contracts. So it's really important. So they do reach out to coaches about here's something that happened. Who does this fall to? Where's the blame go? So that was encouraging to me. I like that they went back, but I didn't see them putting out a tweet that says, Hey, we corrected Baker Mayfield's grade from an 80 passing grade to a 72. That doesn't happen. They take the first thing and go. So it's just, it's, it's so weird how Twitter consumes data. And like, I just feel like there should be better explanations sometimes. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. No, I agree. And, you know, I think both you and I were surprised when we saw the grade. Um, we thought he played okay. Um, but uh, to see an 80, an 80 grade, is a, especially in this year, where you have generally lower um, overall grades for quarterbacks, uh, an 80 grade is a, an excellent uh, football game for your quarterback. So that was just uh, kind of taken back by that. And then I went and checked, immediately looked at Turner where he plays <laughs> Uh, then text you about that and you had already had that conversation yeah. so it didn't surprise me it was surprising and again i'm not out here trying to play turnover worthy play police but i was like seeing people blame jarvis and i'm like it just doesn't make a ton of sense to me why jarvis would be the one catching blame for that there's no miscommunication the ball's just left inside there's i, I didn't i didn't see it so it was good to get confirmation on that because People kind of thought I was crazy, but I'm seeing, you know, people always try to pass blame for whoever you, if you want it to be on the quarterback, you're always going to call it a, a quarterback issue, no matter what. But I was like, I have proof. I'm not crazy. If this wasn't on him, it's not an Anthony Schwartz situation earlier in the year where there's some interpretation needed. 
I didn't think it was, and I'm not really trying to be a hater. I'm, I, anytime Baker had two great throws in that game that were big time throws, that ball to Peoples Jones up the hash on that tight corner, uh, almost pylon route there against cover three where he shielded him from the corner. Great throw. He had two great throws in the game. So, you know, I just, I want to make sure that those things are right because I'm going to ask questions about him because it's like I want to understand the decisions they make when they grade these quarterbacks so I can back it up. But, um, to transition off of that, let's talk about how the Browns will kind of close with how the Browns beat the Raiders. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I guess like the Raiders, you have to find a way to me, the only weapon that really stands out. I mean, Brian Edwards is okay. Deshaun can run, but Hunter Renfro is the guy in the slot now down Troy Hill and the guy they like to replace him with Greg Newsom, like Troy Hill and the uh, and, and Greg have a pretty good feel for the slot, but I don't know who does that now because A.J. Green is out because I thought if A.J. Green could play outside and you could maybe put Denzel in the slot a little bit, Renfro scares me. He's the only guy. Josh Jacobs, not all too scary, not worried about him all too much. They have some other receivers, A. Jones, but the guy who really I think can give them fits in a weird weather game is Renfro in the slot, which I believe he had a touchdown catch last year too. Yeah, well, you know what? As you, and as you're um... – reading off that defensive roster what i'll tell you is i i have a higher opinion i think of account than um than maybe some other guys do i think he's uh actually the only true free on the on the roster um he's green so i understand that but uh, i don't feel so bad having account there available and uh stewart has done some good things for us when you're talking about the slot you know given where this team is uh, you know, I don't want to get too crazy, but they might be messing around with JOK, you yeah, know, in, in a, you know, in a situation like this. I mean, it's an emergency situation. You know, we're down to maybe our third, fourth guy that can handle something like that. And I think maybe this is the kind of game where you ask JOK to, to do things that you don't ask linebackers generally to do. Yeah, have him play the overhang, have him play a ton of zone, ton of curl flat, have him do yep. his best, stay in twitchy with him as well as he can possibly do it. Yeah, I'm with you. That makes some sense to me. That could be an alternate answer. They could ultimately also say, screw it, we're going to play a ton of base, and we're going to play three backers and just try to flood areas of the field with extra droppers and see what happens. I don't know. The defense is going to be strange. They got really aggressive last week, more aggressive than I've ever seen them. He's called a six-plus-man blitzes uh sorry seven plus man blitzes four times this year he did it three times alone in that game the other day he got hyper aggressive he played 14 snaps of cover one and six snaps of cover zero i've never seen him do that joe woods now that's great because it tells you he's deciding to say screw what i am comfortable with and let's do what gives baltimore fits but it's also like all right, we can't do that this week. So it's 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 going to be interesting to see how they adjust, what coverages they go with. Do they play more cover three because they don't trust Moffitt as a cover four guy, like 23 snaps of cover three, 24 snaps of quarters last week. So that will be interesting to pay attention to. The overwhelming thing that has to happen here is that the two ends for the Browns seem to be on track to play. They have to be the ultimate disruptors. JOK has to be a difference maker. Denzel and 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 Greedy have to be locked down and then just cross your fingers on the rest, right? Like that's kind yeah, of all I, I think... can think about for the defense because it's gonna be it's gonna be a really scary back back safety group. Yeah, I think you've gotta I think you've gotta disrupt Derek Carr. And, you know, there was a whole lot of media coverage, obviously, with Boza comments earlier this year about him, you know, him getting rattled 
uh, when you hit them a few times and, and maybe that's the tactic they take is, the, you know, de- dealing with the kind of secondary issues that we have right now. Maybe our best, uh, you know, our best defense is a good offense in terms of attacking. Yeah, I agree. It's going to have to be some sort of pressure. I don't think they're going to blitz much like at all. So I do think it's going to have to be predicated on getting natural pass rush. Big opportunities for Jordan Elliott, Tommy Togiai to get some time in there, prove their worth heading into uh, their important seasons ahead. So I'm excited to see what those guys can do. And hopefully it's a game where the Browns feel like their back is against the wall as we talk about. On offense, I mean, more than any other time this year, they're going to have to run it well. Like they really need a buck 50 out of Nick in the worst conceivable way. I mean, because you have these ends who are very good. Max Crosby's leading the NFL in pressures. You have Ngakwe is a really nice secondary rush guy on the strong side. You have uh, Jonathan Hankins is a, a solid interior piece. Their line, their front core is, is pretty good. And, and, and it's, it's, one of the better ones they've played. Now their corner group is not very strong and their safety group is hit or miss. Jonathan Abram is okay. I think Trevon Merrick's coming into his own, but I think it's a big ask for the Browns to get to 17 points in this game, unless they get some things to break their way. And unless Nick and Dearnest have a huge day, like the pressure to run it well, because Hans is actually a pretty good run blocker, according to metrics, and I think the film says the same. Hudson, not so much, but can they take advantage, find ways to run the football really well? And I'm not talking about run the football for two yards of carry, then all of a sudden bust one for 35. And that ch- I'm talking efficient run game. Four pop, five, ten, 12, six, you know, like that type of run game that really puts a bind on the defense because the only way you're going to get some answers in the passing game is through wide open play action stuff, right? Yeah, that sounds like a good plan. And I feel like this is uh, this is a big gap game type, uh, type matchup versus a wide zone. Um, I, I don't know how you feel about that, but I feel like that's where our strength is um, coming into this game with the condition of the offensive line. I think it's um, the gap schemes and, and coming up the middle, I feel like is where they're going to have to succeed. Well, let me, let me ask you this. They ran 24 runs last week, running back runs. How many of those do you think were gap? I don't think very many. John, they ran 21 gap runs to three zone runs last week. you got to be shitting me. Yeah, they're, they're a gap team. That's all they do. People have talked about this wide zone system. They're not a wide zone system team. They're, they are very, very much, and I'll pull this data up right now. They're a gap team. Their play action is best off of gap schemes where Baker sells that counter stuff in the backfield and they pull the guard and kick. Let's look at the tendency report. I think it might be like two to one now. They're really not a wide zone offense anymore. Well, I'll tell you what, that that the season stats don't surprise me, but what I saw on the field last week, and I never I did not get the chance. I work has been crazy, so I did not get the chance to look at the the replays and, and look at your breakdowns, but just looking at what I saw just in real time, um and you know, obviously we know that Nick didn't have a very good game and our running game just in general wasn't working, but uh, I would not have guessed that we ran that many gap schemes and failed that many times. Against- They're third in the NFL in gap run percentage, 30th in zone run percentage. So that tells you. Let's check what Pro Football Focus has on it. Let's go by team. Let's go Browns. Let's go season reports, blocking grades. It's real-time stuff for you guys. So they have run... 
207 gap schemes to 126 zone schemes. So there's can you answer. tell me? Can you tell me what the uh, percentage was last year? Quickly, uh, yeah, we can go. Uh, to, we can it? go to 2020. 2020, they were split. J.C. Treader played every snap, 240 zone to 242 gap. So they were what dead even. Nick, I wonder what Nick Chubb's grades look like gap to zone. Let's see if we can find it. Let's see rushing grades. Uh, I don't think it has anything specific. I'd have to ask somebody at PFF for that specifically. Uh, it's an interesting nugget there. Um Last year, Nick had in 2020, 116 zone to 99 gap. Kareem had 90 zone to 119 gap. This year, and now there's injuries that get in the way, but Nick has had 104 gap runs to 61 zone runs. So it is tilted heavily this year to being a gap run scheme, gap with vertical passing off of it. So I, I wonder the if there's something to be said there. You know, I mean, obviously this is just coming off the top of my head, but. I wonder if there's something to be said there about Nick's performance, um, gap versus zone. But that's and Nick for had an 86.8 run grade last year. He's at a 76.9 this year. I'll uh, have to dig that up. Try to share it on the on the on the responses to the podcast posting. So check that out, guys. That's uh that's about all we have. We think that it's going to be a weird game. Think it's going to be a weird week. The Browns are going to have to try to come up with some. Uh, Hail Mary type schemes where their their misdirection, their play action can create some open players. And again, more important than ever to make some things happen in the run game. They have to run the football well, not because of the weather, but the personnel. It, it genuinely, when this is up, your third quarterback, you got to take as much pressure off them as you can. So, really hope they can find a way to do that. Any closing statements from you, my friend? No, let's just uh, let's just watch the game and come in with low expectations and hope for a win, man. I mean, you know, this NFL season has been weird enough. Don't tell me that we can't. So, you know, I'm going to tune in with low expectations and hope for the best. Hope for the best. That's all we can do, and we hope that the, above all else, between now and Saturday at 4.30, there's not another guy put on that list. Because if they do, if tomorrow, as you listen to this on Friday, you hear more about tests and stuff of that nature – It's going to be ugly. It's going to be uglier than ugly, and I don't know how they'll play. Now the hope is, and we didn't really even talk about this, is that these new rules maybe give some guys a chance to come back this week. I don't know if the asymptomatic players will. That'll be another alternate thing to pay attention to. We're preparing you for all these guys being out, but in the midst of these tweaks to changes, and and I I don't know, I saw five different pages of memos from these guys, the big Mm -hmm. big NFL Twitter names, and I'm like, I'm not reading that. Somebody needs to summarize it. And then I didn't re-hunt the summarizing, but it did look like to me there might be some ability for guys, and the way Stefanski said it today was that he wasn't ruling anybody out yet that they could potentially get some asymptomatic guys back by Saturday at 4.30. I don't know. Huge shrug of the shoulders. We'll be paying attention to it and hearing the news as you get the news. So I don't know. We're going to prepare that those guys won't play. The Browns are kind of living on the edge with who they have and how many bodies they have. And like John said, though, it doesn't automatically mean a loss. You never know. It's weird. And these teams who feel like everybody's doubting them, we can't do it. You can overcome it. You really can in the NFL, especially with a team like the Raiders who are teetering on giving up for the year and are traveling across the country into a cold weather game when they're a dome team these days. It does matter. So anyway, John, thanks as usual, my friend. I think we I think we nailed this one. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Thanks, buddy. Hey, no problem. Let's go Browns. 
Okay, that's a wrap for today's episode. As usual, huge thanks to John for taking time on a late Thursday night here to talk with me about this stuff. I think these Friday pods remain one of my favorite things I do throughout the week. Just great back-and-forth content banter about different things going on around the league, the division, and the Browns, and I think we kind of cover it all. We'll see what the news brings on Friday, Saturday morning about guys that could potentially play. Fingers crossed they get some guys back. We will have all of that information and coverage for you at the OBR. Check that out because Brad Stanbrook usually has it a little bit ahead of time for OBR subscribers. Appreciate it if you support the website, if you support the Twitch with a subscription. Obviously, really, really appreciate that. Or if you support this podcast with a subscription as well where you get those automatic downloads your support means the world to me say it every week i'm not kidding thank you guys so so much have a great friday and if i chat with you before sunday have a great saturday and uh well actually i will chat with you because obviously it's a day bumped up so you'll actually get your game day preview as it's dawning on me for saturday morning so i'll have coverage of whatever news we get tomorrow thanks for listening guys have a great friday go browns I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.